0: The pain, pain, all the blood, blood all the pain, pain, crime style listeners, what is up? I'm Ashley, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey, guys. We're the host of Crime Salad, a true crime podcast. And for this episode, we will cover for what has been just about a 20-year ongoing case, the missing case of Alyssa Turney. When Alyssa Turney disappeared from her Phoenix home in May of 2001, Her siblings believed their father when he said that she had ran away to California. Despite how out of character running away would have been for Alyssa, there was little evidence to the contrary. It was not until more than five years later that her case was revisited when a serial killer in a Florida jail told a guard that he had murdered Alyssa. As investigators reopened the case to substantiate this claim, they also began to find a new suspect, Alyssa's stepfather, Michael Turney. As new allegations of abuse emerged and unsettling details of a larger murder plot come to light, Alyssa's sister, Sarah, began to rethink everything she knew about her father and sister. On a quest for justice, Sarah spent years digging through family videos interviewing friends and family, and reaching out to the media through podcasts, YouTube, and news outlets. Despite investigations by officials, much of what we know about Alyssa Turney's disappearance now comes directly from her sister. It's through Sarah's dedication that justice for Alyssa's disappearance and assumed murder will hopefully be found. Alyssa Turney was born in 1984 to Barbara Strom, Barbara had a troubled relationship with Alyssa's biological father, and when they divorced, she married Michael Turney in 1987. Michael was a former deputy for the Maricopa County, Arizona Sheriff's Office, and the family took up residence in Phoenix. Michael had three sons, and Barbara had an older son in addition to Alyssa. After being married for a year, the couple had a daughter together and named her Sarah. They were the ideal blended family, not thinking in terms of stepsister or stepfather. Michael had officially adopted Alyssa as his own child just before Sarah was born. Things were going very well for this family, but just a few short years later when Sarah was four and Alyssa was eight, Barbara died of lung cancer. It was aggressive and fast moving, and despite chemotherapy, she passed away from her illness at the age of 34. The loss of their mother was devastating for the young girls and for Michael, the loss of his wife completely broke him. He had already been struggling with his mental health since losing his job at an electrical company, but his depression hit at an all time low after Barbara's death. In his sorrow, things changed around the house and he began to treat the two girls very differently. For Sarah, she was allowed to do anything she wanted. She had more freedom than ever. But for Alyssa, he became obsessively controlling over her life and her actions. He would monitor her phone calls and always searched her belongings. He had a list of rules for her, only her, that he hung up prominently in the house. And like any teenager, regardless of the roles, Alyssa had a rebellious side. She occasionally smoked marijuana with her friends and ditched school, but overall, she was a good student in class. She had a tight-knit group of friends, a steady boyfriend, and was close with her siblings. The last time Alyssa was seen is her last day of her junior year in high school. On May 17th, 2001, Michael Charney picked her up from school early and the two went out for lunch before going home. Michael reported that the two had an argument that afternoon about Alyssa wanting more freedoms. When he refused to budge, she stormed into her room. Michael left the house around 1 p.m. to run around and do some errands and pick up Sarah from school. This was also Sarah's last day of seventh grade and she spent the afternoon cooling off at a water park with her friends. But when Michael didn't arrive to pick her up on time, she walked over to a friend's house to let him know where she was. When he arrived to pick her up, It was around 5pm And he told Sarah that Alyssa wasn't answering her phone He had Sarah call her cell phone As he drove them home When they got back to the house They found Alyssa's room a complete mess The contents of her backpack Had been thrown around the room And sitting on the dresser was her phone Next to a note that read Dad and Sarah When you dropped me off at school today I decided I really am going to California Sarah, you said you really wanted me gone Now you have it Dad, I took $300 from you. That's why I saved my money. Initially, Sarah wasn't surprised. Alyssa had been talking about leaving to stay with an aunt in California recently, and she had been more at odds with her father than ever. Michael alerted the police that night to report Alyssa as missing, but the investigation was fairly thin as she was believed to be a runaway. A few things about this scene didn't quite add up though. Alyssa hadn't take much with her, leaving behind things like makeup, her keys, and her cell phone. She also had $1,800 in her bank account, but she hadn't accessed the funds. The only apparent evidence was that she'd taken a black backpack with her and there wasn't much to suggest a foul play. About a week after she had been seen by her family, Michael reported that Alyssa had called him from a payphone in California. During the short call, he said Alyssa blamed him for leaving and that she wasn't going to come back home. And then the phone line went dead. This was the last time that anyone reported hearing from Alyssa Turney. Despite being close with her friends and her family, she never reached out to anyone else. Her social security number had never been used, meaning that if she was actually in California or anywhere else for that matter, she never applied for a job or enrolled in school. In the years following Alyssa's disappearance, Michael began to say that he believes something terrible has happened to Alyssa. He made claims that someone had been following her and that the police weren't doing anything. He had to take matters into his own hands. He would make trips out to California to look for her and hand out flyers. He put up missing person signs around town and would talk often about Alyssa. According to Sarah though, Michael would talk to anyone about Alyssa except for the police. Michael refused to take a lie detector test or hand over any home surveillance videos that might help investigators find her. Sarah Turney was only 12 years old when Alyssa vanished. She spent that summer sleeping in her sister's bed and wearing her clothes, always believing that her sister would return home soon. As the years went on, it became to really sink in that Alyssa probably wasn't coming back. Sarah began to act out, smoking and drinking with her friends at first, before moving on to shoplifting or harder drugs. These behaviors would have landed Alyssa in serious trouble with Michael, but appeared to cause no reaction to him when Sarah did it. Michael's depression worsened during this time, having now lost his wife and his daughter, causing him to check out and not care much about Sarah's increasingly worrisome and dangerous behavior. Even though Sarah was still so young and needed parental guidance, it was Sarah who would frequently stay home from school to take care of him he would give her and her friends alcohol prescription drugs and money whenever she asked he told his daughter that he just wanted her to be happy after a few years of rebellious behavior sarah decided to start focusing on her future she dropped out of high school at the beginning of her senior year got her ged and enrolled in a local community college she planned to leave for the university of oregon after getting her associates but then Everything changed. If you remember, at the beginning of the story, we mentioned that Alyssa's case resurfaced a few years after her disappearance, after a serial killer confessed to her murder. Thomas Heimer is a Florida man who had been imprisoned for the murder of Sarah Goodman, a woman he strangled and stabbed before hiding her body under a hotel bed in Texas. Since 2003, he had been serving a life sentence for her murder. After three years in prison, he began to send letters to investigators claiming to be a serial killer who had murdered over 20 girls and women who had gone missing. When shown a lineup of photographs of the missing women, Heimer identified Alyssa Turney as one of the victims. At this point, Alyssa had been gone for five years with no leads. Two detectives from Phoenix Department of Missing and Identified Persons Unit flew to Florida to speak with Hymer about Alyssa. During their interview, Hymer described how he murdered Alyssa in a similar way to his previous victim, but certain details did not add up. Thomas claimed that she was a heroin addict, something that none of Alyssa's friends or family could confirm and certainly would have noticed. As the detectives pushed him further and had him take a lie detector test, his story continued to fall apart. By the end of their questioning, Heimer admitted that he had killed a girl, but that it most likely wasn't Alyssa at all. The detectives assumed that he had seen her picture in a newspaper and wanted to use it to gain fame. While Heimer's confession was a dead end, the new detectives began to spot glaring inconsistencies in her case that were not previously looked into. Michael Turney had surveillance equipment all around the house. There were cameras not just outside or by the doors, but hidden in the vents. Over the years, Michael had used these tapes and sent videos of Alyssa with her boyfriend or other men that she knew to the police, hoping that they would be investigated in relation to her disappearance. But when pushed for the tapes of Alyssa's last day, Michael told police that he had already looked at them and there was nothing worth seeing there. And besides the cameras, phone calls in and out were always recorded. When asked for the phone audio records, Michael said that it was actually turned off the day he claimed that Alyssa had called him from California quite a coincidence. The larger media attention from Heimer's false claim had also reached some of Alyssa's friends. They began to come forward with disturbing claims of Alyssa's relationship with her father. They shared that Alyssa had hated to be home and was a completely different person when she was out with them away from her family. Over 20 friends and family members came forward to report that Alyssa had shared with them instances of abuse by Michael In one instance, she had told a friend that he pulled her out of school early, taken her out to the desert, and sexually assaulted her. Another friend shared that Alyssa had woken up to Michael gagging her with a sock. Michael adamantly denied these claims, but his actions raised more questions. The cameras he claimed were only for security seemed to be uniquely focused on Alyssa. And to add, Michael had previously called Child Protective Services and said that if Alyssa ever called to report sexual abuse, that she was lying. And this was all a year before she disappeared from their home. With mounting claims of sexual abuse and Michael's aggressive unwillingness to assist with investigators in finding his daughter, he became the prime suspect. Police believe they had enough evidence to investigate Turney's home. Because Michael was so uncooperative, Sarah, now 19, had become the point person for her sister's case. The day they intended to search the house, they called her into the station to warn her that her father was the primary suspect in Alyssa's disappearance. Throughout the years, Sarah had remained deeply loyal to her father, failing to see his actions as what they truly were. Police told Sarah that they believed he not only had been sexually abusing Alyssa, but that he also had another daughter he refused to acknowledge and care for. Sarah left the police station that day to find her father and to help him. She believed her father to be a good man and her best friend. On December 11, 2008, police arrive at the tourney residence with a warrant to search for evidence connecting. Him to Alyssa's disappearance and assumed murder, and for his DNA. Neither Sarah nor the police could have anticipated what they found among Michael's things when they arrived. In the house, they found 19 high caliber assault rifles, two handmade silencers, a van rigged with gasoline and explosives, and 26 homemade pipe bombs. Over 100 neighbors had been evacuated from their homes. It was the largest bust of handmade explosive devices in the history of Phoenix. As they moved to arrest Michael, they found two loaded guns, rounds of ammunition, and a knife on him. Outside of the explosive devices, graphic pornographic films were found, including one that showed a woman being abducted, bound, and killed. They also found strange contracts that he had made Alyssa sign, one which included a clause saying that he had never sexually abused her. Most notably among Michael's things was a 98-page manifesto he wrote entitled The Diary of a Madman Martyr. The manifesto detailed how he intended to use these weapons and bombs at the Union Hall to get revenge on the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, a labor union he used to be a part of up until the early 1990s, when Michael had lost his job after an injury to his knee. He told Sarah that during this time, he had also been a whistleblower for the hazardous working conditions of the company. In his manifesto, he stated that he had led the union to holding a grudge against him. He claimed that it was two union members who had abducted and murdered Alyssa as his punishment, burying her remains in Desert Center, California. Michael wrote that in his response, he found and killed these assassins himself. The manifesto outlined his plans to drive the van full of explosives into the union hall and use the guns and pipe bombs to kill any survivors and himself. Michael was arrested only four days before the next scheduled union meeting. Despite initially claiming that the police had planted the bombs in his house, Michael Turney pled guilty to possession of the pipe bombs in 2010, and he was given the maximum prison sentence of 10 years. The police had found hundreds of videotapes of surveillance of the house and phone calls, but None from that day in May when Alyssa vanished or when she supposedly called to say she was in California. Though they were increasingly convinced of his involvement in her disappearance and that foul play was involved, police had no direct evidence to convict Michael. The difficulty of prosecuting, they said, was also exacerbated by there being no body found. While murder convictions with no body are entirely possible to convict, it's pretty rare that they are successful. Out of fear of getting a lesser sentence or not being able to prosecute him later if Alyssa's body was found, Michael was only charged with the possession of explosives. During the 10 years that Michael Turney was imprisoned, Sarah began to reflect and rethink their relationship. Investigators told her that after he was released from prison for the bomb charges, they would arrest him but after he was released, their story changed. The police told her that the best chance of getting Michael charged for Alyssa's murder was more media exposure. So that's exactly what she did. As she became more assured that her father had murdered her sister, and as the police stopped pushing the investigation forward, she began to write publicly on social media sites using the hashtag justice for Alyssa. She created a podcast where she digs through and discusses Alyssa's disappearance. On her blog, she has posts that explain her relationship to her father and how he had brainwashed her into not seeing his violence and control of Alyssa that seems so painfully obvious now. She's been writing and speaking openly on why she believes that her father killed her sister, slowly building her own case against him. Well, in 2017, a Phoenix-based journalist named Otavia Zapala came across Alyssa's case. She began to research and started a podcast called Missing Alyssa, where she retraced steps and interviewed family and friends. In one episode, she speaks with Michael himself who tries to control the conversation and says that he had intended to go to the union to raise awareness for Alyssa's disappearance. The podcast also features a chilling clip from a conversation between Michael and Sarah in 2017, six months after he was released from prison. Michael, now in his seventies, believes that Sarah was reaching out to amend their relationship while Sarah was only there for the truth. She asked him what had happened to Alyssa and the answer Michael gave, he'll confess the truth on his deathbed, or if the state agreed to give him a lethal injection 10 days after confessing. While this seems like a clear admission of guilt, investigators say that this is inadmissible evidence in court. Despite all of Sarah's work without a body and more physical evidence, police faced massive difficulty in prosecuting him for her murder. According to Sarah, the Missing Alyssa podcast and her own work has made a space for people to come forward and share details, about what happened to her sister, particularly people who are afraid of Michael. It's through this that more details of his abuse have come to light. Friends and family have been able to share their testimonies and the true crime community has been essential in researching more about Alyssa's case. So now we jump forward to just this year. At this point, it's been nearly 20 years since Alyssa's attorney vanished. No one has seen or heard from her since 2001 and no definite new evidence has come to light to fully bring investigators' attention to Michael Turney. Despite Sarah's hard work and the popularity of her podcast and others that detail Alyssa's case, it wasn't enough to garner the attention needed for prosecutors to go after Michael. That is until Sarah begins to share Alyssa's story on TikTok in April of 2020. While the app is often just seen as a place for dance trends and other young adult antics, Sarah used her platform to share and highlight the evidence she knew about Alyssa's disappearance and her firm conviction in her father's guilt. She earned a million followers and has videos detailing Alyssa's last days, which have earned over 13 million views. So it's actually through this app that her push for the media attention worked. Petitions with almost 300,000 signatures were made and enough voices rallied behind her. And as awesome as it sounds, prosecutors were willing to take notice. This August, Michael Turney was finally arrested at the age of 72 on second-degree murder charges for the death of Alyssa Turney. While he still faces trial and murders where nobody has been recovered are often difficult to convict, Sarah is finally optimistic that justice will be served for Alyssa. The prosecutor's office says that it was her dedication and vocal activism that was essential to finally being able to arrest Michael. There is so much hope that there may finally be justice for Alyssa after a nearly 20 year struggle. While the petition for Michael's arrest is now closed due to its success, there are plenty of other ways you can get involved to support Sarah and Alyssa. You can find information at justiceforalyssa.com. There you can listen to a more in-depth and personal breakdown of Alyssa's story directly from Sarah. She's also used her platform to raise awareness about other missing persons. This case looks to be an ending on a far happier note than our usual cases that we cover here at Crime Salad. As Michael's trial begins, we will try to keep you updated on what unfolds. But until then, thank you all so much for listening to Crime Salad Podcast. Keep on sending us supporting reviews and don't forget to throw away that decomposing salad in the back of your fridge. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain. All the blood, blood, all the pain, pain.